And welcome to another issue, as I almost said the other word, issue of Mighty Marvel Geeks. This is the issue that was supposed to have happened around our 10th anniversary. It didn't because of, well, a lot of things, but it's okay because we have that special guest with us tonight. Um, as we are the Intrepid Trio, Kylan, Eric, and myself, Mike, we have with us Marvel comic writer and MCU screenwriter, Zeb Wells. How are you doing tonight, Zeb? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. So that was, that was the right way to say it, right? Marvel-wise, comic book writer and I think a screenwriter? so, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's close. Or No, that's accurate. <laughs> or closely we just accurate. Be close. <laughs> or just accurately close. Yeah, if it works for accurately horseshoe- close, it's closely if, accurate, accurately close. If it works for horseshoes and hand grenades, why not? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, reason why I say screenwriter, he is a one of the writers for She Hulk. Uh, wrote the episode, the Respect, uh, the Retreat, the, the retreat. retreat episode, the Retreat, the best ah. episode of the series. Yes. <laughs> yes. And yes. Um, and I know we probably won't be able to talk much about it, but you are also involved in Deadpool three and Marvel Zombies. Yes, I was one of the writers on Deadpool three and the head writer on Zombies. I think the only writer on Zombies. Um, okay. Yeah, because it's a it's a four episode series, so. Worked on that with uh, Brad Winderbaum and the director, um, Brian Andrews. It's um, really exciting. The stuff I've seen of it is super exciting. So, But animation, you know, takes a long, long time. Oh, yeah. So I'm not positive when it comes out, but I'm very excited for people to see it when, when it does. Well, when it does come out, you are more than welcome back. And feel free to bring anyone else on the team back with you. Great. We love it. Great. So, um, But let, since we can talk about She-Hulk, and we can talk about your comic work, talk about the fact that you also did some uncredited work with the Marvels. Uh-huh. I did my research. Um, <laughs> I say, let, let's start at the beginning, and how did you get involved with Marvel altogether? Uh, well, I got involved with Marvel Comics back in 2001, when I won a short film contest for Wizard Magazine. And I had a friend that looked like the Incredible Hulk, so I painted him green. And we made a short video about the Hulk having lost his job at Marvel. He had to find new work, so he was like trying to be a short order cook and a construction worker, a caddy. And it all, it, you know, it all went terribly, of course. I believe he ended up as a stripper um, trying to make ends meet. It was very stupid, but we had a lot of fun. And the prize for the wizard award was we got to go to wizard world chicago and they gave us a wizard award at their industry awards Sweet. and so i i was able to give a speech and i was such a nerd that i you know i just had some very insidery jokes um that i can't even remember but i know that they would have they wouldn't have gotten a laugh anywhere but in a room full of comic book writers with a deep knowledge of the lore so Al- a- Axel Alonso, who was watching the speech, uh, was looking for me the next day. And when I found him, he asked me if I wanted to write an issue of Spider-Man's Tangled Web. And 
you know, if someone ever asks you if you want to write a Spider-Man comic, you say yes. That's uh, one of the nerd the nerd rules. Um, so I, abiding by the nerd rules, I said yes, and that started a long storied career with uh, Marvel Comics. And then in 2005, some of those guys that made Wizard Magazine went off and with Seth Green created Robot Chicken. And after they had done that for a couple of years, they remembered that spindly kid that had made the Wizard videos and asked me to write, they were asking me if I wanted to write on Robot Chicken for, I think they used to do five episode cycles back then. So I wrote on five episodes okay. and, you know, that was my first break in television. So, you know, I hit that as hard as I could, ended up doing I think 15, working on 15 episodes for season four and then all of season five. And then the director, Chris McKay, had went off to do the Lego movie and I angled for the directing job for Robot Chicken. So I got to direct Robot Chicken for a couple of years, which led to a superhero comedy that we did for Crackle called Super Mansion. And in the... In that time, we started working on those uh, Robot Chicken Star Wars specials, which led to another project for Lucasfilm called Detours. And on Detours, I met Jessica Gao, who, and we kind of hit it off. And after, while I was doing Supermansion, she was kind of going and doing her own thing in television, and she got the head writing job on She-Hulk. And she remembered me from our days at Robot Chicken and on Detours and got me into the writer's room on She-Hulk. And everything kind of went from there as far as the MCU stuff goes. Totally forgetting Jessica Gao was on Robot Chicken in Supermansion now makes me appreciate She-Hulk a little bit more because of seeing where the... I was always trying to figure out why the humor always grabbed because uh-huh. I, I loved Supermansion, I love Robot Chicken, um, and, and we talked about it here. You know, when we did our our um, our legal briefs, uh, what we called the recaps, mm-hmm. um, just <laughs> how funny the show was, and how there was so much you know Easter eggy type stuff in it, and and just stuff so blatant and so obvious that you can miss it if you don't you're not paying attention. And I'm like, I was trying to figure out why that was, and now it's Robot Chicken. Superman. Yeah, it had a pretty good comedy pedigree in the room and we were all and we were allowed to to make a comedy. Like that was always the goal, Jessica's goal was to make an MCU comedy. So that was it was just a super fun show that I thought suited uh my voice and suited Jessica's voice. So a very exciting opportunity and just so much fun to work on. Well, outside of Deadpool, that's the character really in the Marvel Universe that attunes itself to comedy. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So working with She-Hulk and Dead and Deadpool had been a dream come true for sure. Cool. All right. So I, I'm probably jumping the gun here, but I have to ask. So, all right. So with She-Hulk, you wrote uh, the the retreat. Yes. Right. Okay. So. You you brought out a character that I had only seen once back in man what was that mid 80s maybe it may it had to have been in a 
I'm trying to remember if it was a Heroes for Hire comic, Power Man and Iron Fist, something like that. El Aguila. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, like we 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 lost it when we were <laughs> talking about that episode because nobody would remember uh, I'm like, who remember El Aguila? I you blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. Well yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. to be completely honest, we didn't remember that character either. So we were looking for someone to go up against Manbull, and we, there was a character um, that was more suited to that, a more of a matador type character that we weren't able to use for for you know one of the weird myriad reasons legally you can't use certain characters, and so we had to go even deeper. And down there, deep, deep in the well, somebody returned with El Aligua. And um, but I, I thought the actor who played him did a fantastic job. It was like um, like super oh, yes. funny interplay between him and Manbull. Okay, so the the fact that you being like just a complete comic book nerd with like really deep knowledge of the lore, when you knew that you were going to get to write for this episode, were there any characters that you just kind of like? I want them in. I want this person. I want this character in. They'll never see it coming. Yeah, Manbull was one of those because I, I was super fond of those Peter David Hulk, that Peter David Hulk run. Like that was one of the first runs that I like just went crazy for when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and you know was mowing lawns to go to go fill in my collection. And there's a great issue that Todd McFarlane drew with Manbull in it. I can't quite remember the issue number, but it's in the 330s somewhere, I believe. And so he was he he was one that I was just like, oh, if I could get Manbull in, there's my nerd credentials punched for the rest of my life. No one can say anything. And then uh, Porcupine was kind of like that, too. It was like, hey, if we can get Porcupine in here, we're, we're, we're doing the Lord's work. And <laughs> And then it was also uh, Cody Ziegler wrote the the episode afterwards with with Daredevil, and it was fun for me to try to get Frogman in there. And I don't remember if that was my idea or not, but Frogman getting in there was special to me because that was the first issue of he was the villain in the first issue I had written, Tangled Web, Spider Man's Tangled Web number twelve. I was a teenage Frogman, the classic. The classic issue that uh, <laughs> that everyone's read, um, but to be able to get Frogman into a, an expensive Disney Plus show was in, was incredible. To coin the phrase, what was it? Uh, grip it and ribbit, I think. Oh no, ribbit and rip it. Ribbit, and yeah, ribbit rib- and rip it. <laughs> well, so stupid. <laughs> How many people can do you know can say they have a Frogman Marvel Legends figure on their wall? Well, one here. One here. Um, love that. Love so that's that. Two. That's a great figure. That's a great figure. They did a great job on I, that. I, I'm staring at mine right up there. Yeah. He's right next fantastic. to. He's right next to the Riddler. Great so you're company. a real one. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite Batman villains, the Riddler. But no, Frogman. Well, I, I, I go for the obscure, and yeah, Frogman is just one of those obscure. Yeah, yeah. 
great character. That I think I I only came, I came across Frogman once, like in a trying to remember if it was a Marvel team up or a Marvel two in one. I feel like it was Marvel team up because for some reason Spidey and Frogman teamed up on something. It does. I, I have to go back deep into. I think the, I remember uh, that issue. cover. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that, I was just like, what? That I have to admit, I'm like, what? Frogman? Well, okay, I know they didn't call him Frogman, but it was Frog. I'm like, really? Well, oh, okay, fine. His, his he was he was called Kylan. Please stop. Please slow down. He was called both. Okay. Oh, you're right. We don't need you're to be right. spreading mis. We don't need to be spreading misinformation. I was going to say his Sorry, father. His father was originally Leapfrog. Leapfrog. His father was Leapfrog. Yes. Right. Then right. he initially started. Leapfrog as, is my father. Uh, call me Frogman. Yeah. In the in the comics, the difference was Frogman was a hero. Leapfrog was a villain. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Right. And, and this is why we was like, wait, why do they make Frogman of? villain in the show that should be leapfrog not Frogman. right right it's okay but as we well, discussed now, not people not I, everyone would would know leapfrog Frogman would stick out more yeah i i thought it was hilarious but, that y'all took leapfrog and basically made him a batman parody yeah 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 and it it, it almost there were times when it actually brought to mind the old Batman series of the sixties, the, the theater of the absurd. Yes. And it was just kind of like, all this is missing is cheesy theme music. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then like wham, baffo, uh, pow, Mm -hmm. this sock, pow, pow. yeah, sock. Yeah. Socko. That was one too. Let's know. I've never thought of Socko being a word that comes up like when you punch someone. I don't think that showed up in Marvel anywhere. So, so. you know, we can say that. I don't think so. <laughs> I can fix that. <laughs> He's I going swear. To, if you do that, you do that, I can point to say, this is because of me. <laughs> we got Socko, y'all, because of me. Yeah. I made it. Um, He's going to go saying, around to everybody with a comic book page opened up to that page and just like, I did that. I did that. Socko is me. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Dude, I got goosebumps just thinking about that. <laughs> so, okay. So you have written for comic books, animation, and live action. What are some of the things that are. Uh, the, I guess challenges that are specific to each form versus challenges that are universal. Yeah, I think the universal challenges are you are trying to work within the form um, that has its, you know, that has a certain structure and a certain way the stories are told, and you work within that form. And you try to be as surprising as possible within that form. And I think that that is the same no matter what you're writing for. But the differences between all of them is the actual structure, how how the units of story, you know. And it was interesting learning comic books first because I feel like it's a good starter because you have – it's just very structured because you have 20 pages – and then you have a certain amount of panels on each page. So 
as you're breaking out your story, that that naturally forces you to think about structure and think about how much space certain things take up. And I always write a comic book with a whiteboard and I just put the 20 squares representing the 20 pages. And then I can, you know, if you know you have a scene that needs a certain amount of pages, you can eyeball, well, what does that mean for your beginning or your end? Or you just make sure that everything fits. And that was one of the biggest challenges of going to live action, which was when you're writing a television script, there's there's no one sort of there's no grid to tell you how long a scene is or how much action is in a panel or in a scene. So you have to figure that out. And, you know, like anything, the screenplays, they have like units of story or units of structure, but you have to you have to immerse yourself in it and learn it. And that was, you know, you have to go into it with a little bit of humility. And even if you have had, you know, if you have one of them figured out, you have to go into it with humility and say, well, I don't have this sort of writing figured out and ask yourself some very fundamental questions about what a scene looks like, how long a scene should be, how long is too long. Um, so I've, I've yet to be bored in this industry because it always seems like I'm fighting for my life, just trying to learn the bare minimum to do something of quality every time I jump around. So I, so now going from comic to, well, I guess, well, you start off with the move, like you, you had your, 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 your short that you won, but then you went to comics and then, you know, you're, you know, you, then you bounce back into TV. So going from script from a movie script to a comic script. Like I tried to do script. Uh, there was like a script frenzy or something that sort of like NaNoWriMo. I tried to do it and I just couldn't. I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. I, I just couldn't. But although they kind of look similar, I mean, is that really just appearance? Is it really completely different? Like, you know, I know you're talking about like you're looking at, you know, you got the 20 panels and you're thinking about what's going to be in each panel. But even then, like, is the, as you're writing for the scenes, like, is that still in and of itself similar or is this still completely different, even though it looks the same? Uh, it, there are similarities, but I will say that sometimes you'll hear, sometimes I'll hear that someone's writing a graphic novel um, and I will say, okay, how many pages is it? What not? And, and they will say, oh, I'm just writing it as a movie and then I will adapt it. And then I'll turn that script into a graphic novel. And I'm like, oh, well, you are absolutely screwed. Um, the chances of that being a good graphic novel are zero. Uh, God bless you, <laughs> you know, because right. you need to think out like when you're doing a comic book, you just so badly need to think out the flow of the page you know, you have mm -hmm. one page and it's not the same. It's not the same as one scene in a in a script where the director will 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 want to set like what the close ups and how everything flows together. You know, there's a lot of um, in a screenwriting pulling back and not giving too much information and not over directing in the screenplay because a, it just makes it exhausting to read. And then 
And your your the, the your goal in making that screenplay is that it's the people that need to read it don't aren't angry at you while they're reading it. You know, it needs to be fun to read. It needs to be easy to read. It needs to draw the eye. Where a comic book script can't you can direct it because you are choosing the angles and you are you know you need to think that stuff through. And if you were to just give a screenplay to an artist, they could they would make it work, of course, but you just would never you would never know how many pages it would take up, how many pages it would need to take up. You could end up with pages with twelve panels, um, but you know, and do as many twelve panel pages as you want, but that should be intentional. You know, you should ask mm-hmm. yourself, what does a twelve panel page make you feel like? What does it do to the action? There's plenty of awesome comics with twelve panel pages. But there's no awesome comics with 12 panel pages when it wasn't intentional, when they're right. when they're doing 12 panel pages because they're on their heels and they just need to pack this stuff in there. Um, mm. And there's just thousands of little things like that where you just don't know. You know I, I remember when I went from comics to Robot Chicken and Robot Chicken, every time you're writing a sketch for Robot Chicken, as soon as you get into trouble, you can just end the sketch. You know, that was the concept of Robot Chicken is whenever it was boring, someone changes the channel, you know? So, but then I went um, and worked on Tom Root's show, Titan Maximum, and I had to write like a 15 minute story. And that was when I realized, oh, I know nothing. I know nothing about writing television uh, because I don't know how long these scenes should be. I don't know what the, how, how to shape a scene. I don't know how much information to put in these. And that's when you just have to do the work and and make your mistakes. And 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 you know what? I was super lucky in that I always had a job that that it was my job to make these mistakes, to do this, because the only other way to do it is to just keep writing script after script after script. And that's hard to do when you have another full time job or you're doing something else and no one's paying you to do it and no one's calling to yell at you if it's not done. Um, you know, let's not kid ourselves. Writing is not fun a big chunk of the time. It's work. And I always, from when I got my first comic job, my job was always to write. And I think that really, really helped me. And I'm really thankful for that. You mentioned, uh, being cognizant of the flow of the page when you're writing a comic book. Uh, does Knowing who is going to be doing the penciling and the inking on these pages influence how you write a script. Uh, a thousand percent. Like that is my that is my favorite part of writing a comic, and I I always rewrite to the artwork when it comes in. So I'll write full script. I think it's my job to fully think through the page and present them with a script that I, I believe in that I think works. Like if you were to draw this exactly as I wrote it, I believe it would work and would be good. But then of course the artists might have other ideas and I'm always super open to that. They're the ones that have to draw it. They're going to be spending a day, day and a half, two days, maybe longer on that page. So they can, you know, they might reconceive something. If they do that, I want to take the artwork and rewrite to that thinking about the flow making sure maybe i had a piece of dialogue 
that their facial expression makes redundant because they did such a good job of describing this action. If I was to have dialogue or words that also described it, I would be doing a disservice to the reader and to the artwork. So I polish that out. But to get back to your what you were saying, that, so I feel like that's where it becomes a collaboration. But I actually feel like the collaboration starts earlier, which is me, before I even start writing, thinking about their artwork, thinking about what type of story their artwork is trying to tell. And then as I'm writing, I'm seeing their artwork in my head. And so that's what makes the job super fun. The, the worst thing for me is if I have to write a comic book and not know who's going to draw it, because I just don't, you know, it's hard to like figure out what the identity of the comic book or the feeling of the comic book is going to be if you don't know what it's going to look like um, and you're not writing for a certain artist. So if you if you read my Amazing Spider-Man run, you'll notice that the Ed McGinnis stories have a different feeling than the John Romita Jr. stories. And that's intentional. And also, I don't have a choice because just naturally the way I think, I'm going to think about an Ed McGinnis story different than a John Romita Jr. story. And then the final thing with the flow, which which I think gets devalued sometimes is the is the letter because the letter is kind of where the rubber hits the road where you like literally it is what is drawing your eye through the page <laughs> and the the letters have to be uh pleasing to the eye they have to be spaced well and that's where you know i've done a lot of work with the amazing spider-man letterer um, Joey and or Joe Carmagna and we worked together for a long time and done a lot of, of fun work um, but that's like the final piece of the puzzle and then I'll work with him and maybe we'll move things around to make sure that that as your eye moves from one balloon to the next it's passing through the art in the order that you want the eye to pass through the the art to um, and that's stuff that I've been paying more attention to the last like five years um, that I've, I've really noticed, you know, what I like to do is, is whenever I, whenever I do one of these steps, I put myself in the headspace of someone who maybe doesn't want to read the comic, who doesn't have a lot of time, who doesn't want to be there. And I want to see if I can bounce their eye around the page as, mm -hmm. as uh, easily as possible. So maybe they read one page and they just naturally go to the next page. And before they know it, the comic is over. You know, that's the goal. I, I'm, I'm glad you, you regret asking that question because I really started babbling there. <laughs> Actually, I'm just glad that you're putting value on the letter. So, yes. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was about to mention that, too, because I'm also going to give a quick shout out. It was Joe Caramania that helped us book Zeb onto the show. Yes, I, I owe him a lot. I owe him a lot. I owe him a lot. So. Um, we, we've been working together for at least 15 years now wow. and he's one of the best in the biz. Yeah. Yes. And there are certain yeah. stories that I feel work to the extent that his lettering works. So I'm, I'm very, uh, very happy to have the, the, the amazing Spider-Man team right now is the, the cards are definitely stacked in my favor with Joe and then the uh, the colorist Marcio is one of the best in the biz. So the book is is a really good looking book at the moment. Speak, speaking of Amazing Spider Man, 
to me, I had no issues with it, with what went on. Um, but it ended up causing a bit of a, of a stink. The, your, your surprise twist of killing off Kamala Khan and then the whole breaking up Spider-Man and Peter and Mary, Mary Jane, as if that hasn't happened before. Um, (laughs) why, I mean, I can understand a little bit Kamala, but why do you think the whole thing with, with Peter and Mary Jane became such a big to do this time as opposed to all the other times that it's happened in the past? Yeah, because they did uh, more breaks than Ross and Rachel. Yeah, I'm yeah. not. I'm not sure. And I've I've always said that if 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 someone was writing the final Spider-Man story, you know, say Spider-Man 1200 is the last issue that will ever come out, I'd assume Peter Parker and Mary Jane would get together, would be together, you know. But this story isn't going to end anytime soon. Uh, Spider-Man has a long, long runway ahead of him. And so there are going to be like, you know, ups and downs. And I mean, I get it. I get it. Before you start writing, I remember watching like movies that I love and and things, television shows that I love. And there's always a moment where you can tell something bad's about to happen or something's going to get complicated. And you're always like, damn it. Why, why can't they just be happy? Why can't, why can't, why do we? Why does the story have to go there? Why can't it just be a pleasant day for these characters? But then, once you start writing, you realize, oh, then 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 it's not a story. Then no one would write about that day. The reason we're telling this story is because there are challenges and and bad things happening. So, um, but look, I don't I don't think anyone owes me to like this story or like what happened. You know, like people can can like or dislike it. Um, um, I do think that my job is to sort of keep my head down and, and do what I'm doing. And then, and then once it's done, poke my head up maybe five (laughs) years later and see what, see if people liked it or not. But, but if you, if you pay too much attention, you'll go crazy. You know, you go crazy because you can't, you can't make everyone happy. And if you're going down a certain road, and and somebody's shouting about it and you're like, oh, oh, the world's ending. I've got to correct this. Then I just think that that's not what my job is. Right. My job is to tell a story um, as well as I possibly can. And I'm, I'm working very hard and telling it as well as I can. And in that context, I will fail and succeed Um Many, many times. I will fail many times and succeed many times. And my job is just to kind of keep the ship going forward. Well, like I said, with, with Peter and Mary Jane, I mean, that's happened many times in the past as well. And I've never seen the heat, like, all of a sudden now. It's like, why is Zeb getting heat for this? Everyone else heat for doing the same thing. Now, <laughs> Kamala, I can understand a little bit why there was some heat given there. Who pitched that plot twist? Was that something you pitched to Marvel? Or did they pitch to you because they had a ulterior plan for Kamala in, in with a return? Well, which we've seen her come back. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Nick Nick Lowe has talked about this because I usually don't like to just get too far behind the you know what's going on behind the stories, but I feel like it's been talked about a little bit. But there was this idea that we were going to reveal that Kamala Khan was a um, mutant. And so then the question becomes, what's the most compelling way to reveal 
that she's a mutant. And we had this this um, the X-Men stuff where the X-Men were able to re revive mutants. Um, if they died, they could be brought back to life. So I think in that room, it was just I, and I agree. I just feel like the compel the most compelling way to reveal that Kamala Khan was a mutant would be to have her die and then suddenly is revived. And it's like, holy shit, no one knew that she was a mutant. And th then it was a matter of I was working on this bigger story on Amazing Spider-Man and Kamala Khan had been in my book, you know, mostly if she had she had had her own book that had been canceled. Then she was in my book. And if Kamala, we wanted to give her the biggest platform possible going forward so that when she had another book, it would have the most chance of success. So mm. it, it, it was a, it was a thing that just to me made a lot of sense. I knew it would upset people. Um, but, you know, when a character dies, they're supposed to be upset. So it's hard to know where the line is of of who you're upsetting because, but as I've said before, I completely respect and um, would not argue anyone that had problems with that for the, for the reasons they had problems with that. Like that was something I knew would happen going into it. I thought it was the most dramatic way to do the reveal that we were going to reveal. And I thought that Amazing Spider-Man was the best way to honor the character because that's a big book that a lot of people read. And if it was if it happened in a book where not a lot of people were reading, I thought that was more disrespectful to the character or wouldn't be as as dramatic as that as that moment um, needed. And as you can see, America rose up and agreed with me <laughs> in one voice, in one. Well, let's go. I'm gonna say, we, it, again, I I can't blame you, especially now hearing more of the backstory of this was an idea they had to make the transition from inhuman to mutant. Since because it almost seems like Kamala is that one character that is the the bridge between the comics and the MCU. Yeah, she's introduced yeah. as an inhuman because, well, agents of Shield and everything else, Inhumans was the was the thing amongst Marvel. Now trying to go back, and we're wanting to bring. Well, we got Deadpool going, but we also want to bring in the X Men eventually. Taking her down that route makes more sense. And so yeah, and, to and, coincide and, her and, in the comics the same way makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and I think that's that's the thing from from a certain perspective. Um, you know, it made sense to me to do it. And from other people who have completely valid perspectives, it was, it did not make sense or it was hurtful or it triggered things that, um, that they had been dealing with. And that's completely valid as well. You know, I'm not, um, I knew we knew it would, it would upset people, but it upset, it upset some people more than others. And, you know, I don't want to shock you, but I'm not doing any of this writing to make people feel bad. You know, that's not my goal. My goal is to make people feel good and have a good time right. um, and see the characters that they love doing heroic things. Yeah. And I, I will so again, I just don't, I just want to value everyone's opinion. Everyone gets to have their reaction to that. And they're all valid. My, my daughter is a huge Kamala fan, Miss Marvel fan. When she read the issue, she's like, Daddy, I'm like, 
<laughs> it's Marvel Comics. Trust me, there's a plan. She's too popular of a character for her to be gone long. There's a plan. We just got to wait to see what happens. Mm-hmm. And when she was reintroduced, and then after seeing the Marvel's movie and seeing the revelation there, like, okay, this is why the, the gap is happening, or the, this transitioning is happening. Because they're, they're using Kamala as that bridge between live action and, and, the, and the print media. Mm-hmm. So, and plus, like you said, this is Marvel, unless your name is Uncle Ben. You will come back from the dead eventually. <laughs> right. That's true. Yeah, so, I mean, because well, well, we, we said before there were, at, in in the comics world, there were three sacred deaths. Uh, there was Uncle Ben, Bucky, and Jonathan Kent. And the thing is, depending on who's writing, Jonathan Kent survives. And, and well, we know what happened with Bucky. So, <laughs> you know, well, I'm like, Bucky's oh, you know, back. At one point, Thomas Wayne came back. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I when I heard, heard I don't know when I, I heard about Kamala's death, I, I, you know, I've been, I've been reading long, long enough that I knew something was in the works. You know, it's like, you know, it's Marvel. No death outside of Uncle Ben. No death is forever. Right. So I, I was surprised that it know. happened so so soon because of the popularity of the show the popularity character had even though her title got canceled um but again it it made sense if the if the if marvel studios is informing marvel entertainment hey this is our plans with her and she's been that bridge then okay we need to make that adjustment in the comics as well yeah and you know and and that's why i don't love talking about this stuff because if someone comes to you and says they don't like one of your stories, it's like you can't go to them like, well, here's why it makes sense. You know, like making sense. Who gives a shit? <laughs> gives a shit if it makes sense or not? It's like people are. It's like people are. I I write these stories. People are allowed to like them or not like them. I, I, I never want to put myself in a position where I'm trying to logically convince someone why a story is good or makes sense. Like that just doesn't matter. Um, your reaction to the story is valid. You like it or you don't, and it's all good. We're 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 all we're all still nerds on the same team. Hopefully, at the end of the day. Wait, hold on. I just thought about another death. Maybe you guys can correct me on this. Is Stick still alive, or didn't Stick kick the bucket at some point? Who is Stick from Daredevil? Stick. Yeah, he was oh, the guy that. Stick. Ah, is he still dead? Yeah. I, if he's dead, he's he's been back and dead again a few times, correct? I don't think he's stayed dead. Yeah. If Electra, no, no. If, if he's alive, he's no back. one can see him. Wait, he can't see him. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> yeah, I was, that just hit me. I was like, wait, the stick? I don't think stick stayed dead. I don't. Okay. Well, then there you go. It's still Uncle Ben. <laughs> For now. Okay, but I, I do have, <laughs> I have a question for you. So as a writer and then and, and as an experienced comic writer, are you still able to read comics as a comic fan? Or when you read comics, are you reading comics? Do you read it like, you know, as as a writer? It's know? pretty hard. It's pretty hard to enjoy reading a comic these days simply because you're always 
you're always just paying too much attention to the craft of it. I think like it's always interesting and enjoyable, but no, I don't feel like I can read them as a fan. You know, it's fun to go back. I think that's why it's fun to go back and read stuff that I liked before I was a pro because I can still kind of read those and put myself in the headspace mm-hmm. of someone um, who had didn't have all these other considerations when he when he reads something. But now, and it's fun it, for for now. I read them, and it's just fun to see how other people do things and how other people do the craft and figure things out and you know and it's always fun to see good comic book art of course um i, I totally right. i totally relate it's hard for me to go to concerts being an mm-hmm. audio engineer it's like because yeah i'm there to see the group because i really like the group but i also like okay i'm gonna be watching the front of house quite a bit as well and uh okay yeah yeah wait <laughs> what did he what did he just you know now i'm critiquing the mix because like wait he just did something how did he do that? And I'm now trying to break it down. Okay. Wait. Yeah. I got to remember this. This was awesome. I want to try and incorporate this. And it, it, it's difficult. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, when, all when, of this stuff that used to be invisible isn't invisible anymore. And it, it becomes all, distracting. It pops right there. Yeah. 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 You know how the sausage is made. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't go back. You can't go back. No. But you know, but, but, you, but do fry it up. you lose something, but you get stuff in return. Like there's nothing more thrilling than writing a comic book page and then your email goes off and you, you open up the email and you get to see what the artist has done with the script. I've been doing this for over 20 years and that has never gotten old. It will never get old. It is still just such a thrill to see a piece of comic book art um, drawn to one of your scripts. It's the best feeling in the world as a comic book fan. Outside of the current title, The Amazing Spider-Man, what has been that one project that you absolutely love doing that you didn't think you would ever be a part of? Well, working on Deadpool was a massive, massive thrill because there were times where you're on a Zoom with Deadpool working on Deadpool um, and Ryan Reynolds is pitching jokes and saying things in the Deadpool voice that are just absolutely hilarious. Um, And that was a pinch me moment. And then when you learn that Hugh Jackman is going to be returning as Wolverine, I mean, that is, it's hard to get better than that as a comic, as this type of comic book fan, for sure. Knowing knowing what you do know of Deadpool three without getting in trouble without spoilers are are we really in for surprises of surprises in, in this film? Yeah, I mean it is it is jam packed with with fun. It is a it, it, yes there, and even some you know things keep leaking this and that, and some of them are true. True, most of them are not. Um, we're not going to ask for any leaked information. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still very confident with the amount of fun stuff. Awesome. That that is that is teed up for everyone. People are going to lose their minds. Uh, that that's the one thing we we totally we know the project's still in the work, still in development in some form, platform, be it post production, pre planning, marketing, whatever. You no, know, it's not out yet. We know. <laughs> 
<laughs> we know the safes are sealed pretty tight. Um, and, we, and we don't, we don't like to pry because we don't want to get people in trouble, but we do like to ask those type of safe questions. Well, um, all knows that the, I, I, my wife is going to lose her mind, uh, knowing that you worked on the project because it, the countdown's already started in our house for, for Deadpool three. <laughs> she, she's a hardcore, hardcore, hardcore Deadpool fan. So. You know, I was such a fan of those movies. And I also got to work with uh, Rhett, we, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, who were writers on the on the first two Deadpool movies, who I could not be bigger fans of the uh, Zombieland. Just two fantastic writers. And, you know, reading their pages and seeing and just reading Deadpool's voice, it, it was it, it was just so freaking cool. That was a real pinch me moment. So again, I will preface this with, we know you can't say a lot, but what can you tell us about Marvel zombies? Man, I don't, I don't know. Cause I have to try to remember what has been revealed. What is not, I think well, I did. Don't, uh, don't risk, don't risk anything. If yeah. Get you in trouble. Well, I, yeah, all I can tell you is that, and maybe I can tell you this. Maybe I will get in trouble. But uh, Br- Brian Andrews is a wild man. And every little bit of action that was written and conceived in that uh, show, Brian and his team took. And, you know, Brian's worked on, uh, like, Primal. Like, this is he's, – he's worked on the What If – you know, he directed the What If show. Okay. He just took that action and expanded it into this very, very epic, epic scale that I truly am proud to have anything to do with. And I do believe when it comes out, people will freak out. I'm looking forward to it because I I really enjoyed the Marvel zombie comic title when it was out. Um, How much influence from the comics is there with this? Um, I think I should keep my mouth shut. Okay. <laughs> Played the fifth. Smart. <laughs> Smart move. Hey, so that's, that's the first question. time I've ever asked that question and got that response. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> so it took 10 years to push this far. Yeah. To, you finally got the no comment. No comment. Hey, all the times that I've done it, when people have asked me about stuff that I've been involved with at, at Disney, especially with the Star Cruiser, is like, yeah, no comment. I, I, yeah. I, I totally get it. And it's like, I, I, so to finally have it thrown back at me, it felt great. <laughs> I actually enjoyed that. I really did. So that's what it feels like. But um, going back real quick to um, writing for comics. And you say that, yes, the artist a thousand percent influences your writing style. Um, Who are some or can you think of an artist that you have yet to work with, but you really, really do want to write for? Mm -hmm. Well, it's hard to overstate how huge uh, Alan Davis was in my in my mind when I was a kid. Um, the Excalibur series, anything that he did, the amount of emotion 
he got on people's faces. It just felt so heightened. It felt like you were watching real people do things. Like there are a lot of those issues of Excalibur that are them hanging out at that lighthouse and it's cold and rainy out and you can feel exactly how cold and rainy it is. And they're drinking a hot cup of tea and you can feel how warm the cup of tea is. And then every single character from um, the gorgeous ones to the ugly ones, they're all beautiful. They're all just drawn completely beautifully. Um, so he, he's, he's one that I super respect. And then when he came back and he did a, a run on Excalibur that sort of took everything him and Chris Claremont had done and he uh, tied up all of those story threads as a writer, he did a fantastic job. Like he was a fantastic writer as well. So he's someone I super look up to. And one thing that always strikes me about Alan Davis's work, it's clean. Yeah. It's yeah. not, he doesn't use an overabundance of crosshatching or extra lines on the face. But he can get every facial expression known to man, and then some. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, oh, my God. His, his poses are incredible. All of his yes. poses are absolutely incredible. Nothing – I've never seen an Alan Davis panel that I was like, oh, he did the bare minimum there. Like, it always seems like it's super well thought out, and and the, the camera angle and everything is super well thought out. So um, he is – I know everyone loves him. It's not like he, he's an unknown, but I, I just don't think it's possible to give him enough credit for how good he is. What, what, if you were able to take on a second book, what which character is impossible, which is deeply impossible, which makes this a great question. If you were able to, <laughs> who, what character would you want to tackle and why would it be Howard the duck? Um, <laughs> Howard the duck. Um, I, 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 w I always want to be careful because it's weird if someone else is already writing this book or doing the book, because then you're like, oh, I wish I could have that guy's job or that girl's job, you know, which is not what I'm saying. But uh, Howard, as far as Howard, characters, it's Howard has no book still, at the moment. Yeah, Howard. <laughs> um, I still think that there are, that I have stories to tell with Electra, And then I just always think about I think Electra and Wolverine are such a good team. Um, that it would be Ooh. fun. I, I just love seeing them bounce off of each other because they're both like these trained killers that have complicated relationships with that skill set. They're, they're both tortured. Um, so I think that that would be the tempting the tempting book. Wow, I would I would pay money for that actually. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, I would. I'd buy it. That's I'm, the goal. That's the goal. Would you put it in Madripoor? Uh, maybe. I'm sure they would dip their toes in Madripoor. I don't know if it would stay there, but. All right. Forgive the interruption. This might be important. Okay. Oh, okay. Thursday. I'm all ears. That's our, that's our AI. Tony Stark has Jarvis on Friday. We have Thursday. Because she's not quite Friday. Uh, hey, Thursday. <laughs> would you please introduce yourself to Zeb? Greetings. I'm the Tactical Holographic Utility Resource System. Data assessment year-round. You may call me Thursday. Nice to meet you, Thursday. So, 
she just flashed up on my screen a reminder of a segment that we always do. And this segment's going to be brought to you by Jersey Ninja, as you heard in our pre-show role. Jersey Ninja, um, one of our new sponsors. Great hockey jerseys, performance wear, etc. Awesome stuff. Uh, you can find them at jerseyninja.com. And it's that time where we, ha- we flip the tables and allow our guest, which in this case is Zeb, to ask us a couple questions. <laughs> With that laugh, okay, I okay. in trouble. But we're in trouble. Oh. Okay, so well, I would like to know what your guys' favorite comic book arcs are. Mm. And this is where we learn that you, that you guys don't read comics. This is a, <laughs> this is a shell game. Currently. And Thursday's been writing these questions. <laughs> She's smarter than idiots. I will give credit where credit is due. Yum, 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 yum. I'm going to grab a water real quick. Favorite part, so. Hopefully this isn't live. Nope. No, it's Memorex. I would say that mine would have to be Excalibur's cross time caper. Ooh, great! Just it so creative. Yes, it's just intensely yes. creative. As so many different wonderful takes on the Marvel universe. Yeah, the amount of ideas that are jammed into that into that story. Now, here's the other thing you guys didn't know. I will be telling you if your answer is correct or not. And Eric <laughs> was correct. Well, I'm going to take not to say everyone else will be. And if I have not read the story, you will see my eyes glaze over and I will give you this. I will give you this, symbol, which means wrap, wrap it up. up. <laughs> For me, I'm, I'm going to go into the other Marvel Universe of that of the Lucasfilm Marvel Universe. And my favorite story arc has been Vader Down, which was the very first crossover that happened after uh, Marvel got their license back. And who who wrote that? Was that um, Soleil? No. Uh, I think it was Karen Gillian. Nice. Can't go wrong with either of those guys. Uh, Karen Gillian and Jason Aaron, I think. Combined. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, thought, I thought Jason had... Hey, who was Jason? What's that? Okay. I'll allow it. That's a good answer. <laughs> Kyle, let's see. Let's see what you got. Okay. Um, honestly, I... Uh, I would have to say the one is, and this is because this has stuck with me for at this point decades now. The extension agenda. Mm. Yeah, that was that was one of the first like prototypical multi-book crossovers, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Oh, yeah. No, uh, it wasn't the first, but they they were they were kind of refining it, right? Where you were doing like one chapter, right. or it seemed like one of the bigger ones where it kind of settled into what those would be. More or less. Yeah, because I think it was Uncanny. It was Uncanny X-Men, Excalibur, and New Mutants? Was that I think wrong. I think wrong on pretty much every count there. I don't think Excalibur was involved at all. I think it was... uh, And was it X-Force by that time, or was it New Mutants? It was probably X-Force by then. You know, it was like Uncanny X-Men, X-Men, X-Force, and X-Factor. Right? Yeah. But there, was it those yeah, four? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, yeah, because it, it, it turned out to be a, was it a 12-book saga? It was either 12 or like 9. 
Yes, yeah, because yeah. okay, I was twelve because it was four books, and I think it was it was across three months. And I, I it had me reading books I normally didn't read because I was I was reading X Men, I was reading X Men and Wolverine, you know, and then yeah. that pulled me into some of the other X X titles at that point. Sure. Like, well, okay. So yeah. I remember, yeah, I remember I think I had just gotten back into comics when Acts of Vengeance came out, that big crossover. And I remember just, Ooh. I don't know if you guys ever had this feeling, but when I saw the ad, I, I was just hit with deep anxiety because I thought I would have to buy every one of those comics or I wouldn't know. You know, because the advertising always like makes you think that if you miss one, you will never, you will never be able to understand a Marvel comic again. Yeah. So I was losing yeah. sleep as an 11 year old wondering how I was going to possibly <laughs> afford all of this. And then you realize they're just a loosely, a loosely connected batch of comics with no big overarching story. Um, but that's some the magic of comics. Some of yeah, yeah, well, for sure, for sure. I think, I think if, if all we got out of it was Magneto and Red Skull thinking they were going to team up, but then, but then Magneto's just like, "Oh, you're a, you're a, you're a freaking Nazi," and just, just, just beats the shit out of him for a full issue. That's fantastic. One of the best yeah, moments like, in that, comics. That would, have, that would not have happened. That, that, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I do want to say that you guys just barely got through that, so I want you, I want you to realize that it's not as easy as you, as you think it is. <laughs> I, I I had to put you on my back and, and drag you guys over the finish line. So <laughs> see, that's why we had hey, at, at least you know. <laughs> at least nobody says Secret Wars, right? We 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 didn't go like the original Secret Wars. So yeah, you know, were you? I I just missed that. So I I remember the black costume, but I remember Secret Wars spoke of in. In Hush Jones, that was another fun thing about whenever you started reading comics, you would read about, you know, you would read about past stories and they would take on this, this mythic uh, quality. And sometimes you would go back and read them and they were like a page and a half of, you know, they were just like nothing. And you're like, oh, that, that, that was it. But then sometimes you'd go back and they would be epic. And that was always fun. <laughs> That's always fun about diving into the Marvel Universe. Because you're hearing all of it. It's like watching Star Wars for the first time when they're talking about the Clone Wars and all this stuff that you don't get to see. I think that's something that magical that that comic books do that not not many other things can do. Right. 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 <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah, for you guys? Yeah. Let's see. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. <laughs> anyway. We we already started the run down the road of punishment. I want to I wanna know. Um, I want to know who your favorite just artwork style favorite image founder artwork like who who was your if you if you were reading at that time and say your favorite book was losing one of those artists which was the hardest loss for you george paris terrible answer not an image founder i don't even know if he did an image book <laughs> no he went to dc but still from, one of those. what did he go to dc from avengers uh i believe so yeah and then he went and did it to uh, Teen Titans, right? Teen Titans, Wonder Woman, all that, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was, that was but you're saying that was a hard loss for you? That was like a hard was, loss for me, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, 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 I'm not select, not, I'm not saying it was selective hearing. It, 
just didn't process you were looking for. No, 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 that, no, no, that was, that was, that was, so, that was what I, that's a great answer. Um, and probably opened it up for. a little bit. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say Rob. Oh, no, we got there. I'm not going to say Rob live. Phil. Uh, oh, you have to be either Jim Lee or Mark Silvestri off the X-Men books. Yeah. Silvestri always had a nice gritty feel to him. Yeah. His artwork. And it's kind of like, I love the way he did Wolverine just because there was, there was an intensity that, that just kind of, you just felt it every time you looked. Yeah. He was a great grab. He did quite a few X-Men issues. Um, He had a great run, great run. Now, if you're, if you're looking for, and I had to verify that this person was part of the image group. Um, Bob McFarlane. I railed you last time. Bob McFarlane for me. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I, seeing what he had done with Spider-Man, you know, here we went from, you know, just a, oh, here's a line for a web to now here's all this detail with the webbing. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of the other stuff that he, he brought to the pages was just amazing. Well, I, I remember I think that, that was a big hit for Marvel with him leaving. For sure. And Jim Lee was sort of the same way where once you got into their artwork, you just wanted you could you almost sat with bated breath to see what they would do with a certain character. That was what was so compelling about that amazing Spider-Man run of his is you were just waiting to see what his Scorpion would look like or what his um Silver Sable would look like or his Hobgoblin would look like um because every time he did it. He would put his own spin on it and, and give it so much energy. And I think that I think those image founders, yeah, they're they just when you see what they did as far as the energy level of the art before them and then afterwards, like they they were tapped into something that was pretty massive and huge, and they deserved a lot of the the heat they were getting for sure. That wasn't an accident that they got popular. I see, and the thing is, I would have to say Jim Lee. And here's why, because it was kind of, was it over Thanksgiving weekend? I, I, I went home and my mom had this crate and she said, this was in your room. And she said, and it was all packed real nice. I'm like, okay, I barely remember this. But right there in the crate was a box of Jim Lee X-Men cards mm. that I had bought from my, because I had a history professor that also sold cards on the side. And I'd forgotten I had this, and I, and I was just looking at him, and I'm just like, it, it took me back. So I, I, I would have to say Jim Lee because, you know, that was, and that was the time I was reading X, you know, reading a lot of X titles. So, you know, I did, I have yeah. to say, largely love seeing his stuff. You know, just yeah, kinda, that was a, uh, that was a hard hit, right? Because. It was fun to go see what those guys all did on their own, and you you want people to be creatively fulfilled, and they they all did a great job. But as Marvel fans, it was just so much fun to see them uh, run roughshod over the Marvel universe and see what they would do. It was an exciting exciting time. Um, was it Jim Lee that uh, that uh, put put the Uncanny X Men all back into the blue and yellow? I think it was. Yeah. You know what? I have to admit, I seeing Wolverine in the in the original school uniform, I was just like, I didn't, I didn't realize I needed that in my life. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's it's unclear if another artist could have pulled it off to that extent. Like I could see that looking pretty boring 
um, mm-hmm. with another artist, but he made it he made it look so clean and cool. He's he's definitely one of the one of the best. I wonder what happened to that guy. But you can currently catch Zeb on the Amazing Spider-Man title. We're going to look for him in the credits for Deadpool 3 and Marvel Zombies when those come next year. Where can people find you online? Uh, nowhere. I've gone deep underground <laughs> to, uh, Perfect. to protect my sanity, so I am nowhere. <laughs> and that's fine, too. Um, yeah. But go check out Smart. his work. Robot Chicken, Supermansion, Titan Maximum. Um, the retreat episode of She-Hulk and much, much more. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you guys. That was awesome. And hopefully we can do this again when Marvel Zombies does come out. Love to have a whole, awesome. love to have a whole team involved. That would be awesome. That'd be absolutely great. So until next time. All wrapped up here, sir. Will there be anything else? Nope. Just time to go dark. We have a Hulk.